0: Jesus is real. There's
1: power in your name. We find hope we trust in your ways. We need Jesus is
0: real. Listen, I don't want you to take anything from him. I want you to buy it. Because I've blessed you. And because I've blessed you, I'm actually going to bless the descendants of esau through you because they're going to be able to sell what they have to you and you're not going to mess with them you're not going to hurt them you're not trying to take their land anything like that but i want you to pass along the blessing through something as simple as commerce and i love that the lord your god has blessed you in all the work of your hands
1: have you had blessings in your life that just filled you up with joy you can't help showing it can you Pastor Daniel encourages you today to do something with those blessings, the same thing God asked of the Israelites, bless someone else. God instructed his people to be kind to a nation they may consider their enemy, to buy food and water from them. It may not have seemed like a grand gesture, but it was a way to honor the Lord. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Desert Years Revisited.
0: open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2. Deuteronomy, chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, Deuteronomy is really easy to find. It's the fifth book in there. You have the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. You might be tempted to ask the question, why do we keep going over the same things? Right? We're in this beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, the series that we're calling Refresh, because Moses is about to go home to be with the Lord, and he goes back over the whole story again. And you might ask yourself, I mean, like all this repetition, I mean, I know repetition is the greatest teacher, but like, what's the deal? You have to remember that by the time we get thousands of years into the future, Jesus is going to sit in a room, an upper room with his disciples. And he's going to take bread and he's going to take a cup and he's going to say, you know, this bread, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he's going to take that cup. He's going to say, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And you have to remember that they're at a Passover Seder. They're commemorating God's deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. See, Everything about the finished work of Jesus has its foundation, its genesis here in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And the story of God's great deliverance from Egypt and their subsequent rebellion and long-term wandering in the wilderness becomes a defining narrative of their life. And you may ask yourself, okay, so... There's a defining narrative. You might ask, what's the defining narrative of your life? And I think for all of us, if you're here today and you're in Christ, you'll find that the defining narrative of your life is that God has given you a blessing and a life, and along the way, you rebelled. And you struggled in the wilderness. And when you come to Jesus, it's not that everything gets easy, but you come to Jesus... And all of a sudden, God is doing a brand new work. And that is a defining narrative of life. And that's exactly the defining narrative of the children of Israel. That God called them, and he blessed them, and he delivered them from Egypt, and he, he wanted to bring them into a promised land, but they rebelled. But God was gracious and merciful. There was consequences, but... That's who the Lord was. And so we keep going over this again and again. And if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that oftentimes the prophets will recount the story. Kings will recount the story. In the Psalms, they'll say, hey, remember, this happened and this happened and this happened. Because when we're able to look back and see the things that have gone on, you end up seeing the fingerprints of God all over your life you end up realizing that God was with me in my greatest rebellion and my greatest victory. And God was there when I was off the reservation and when I found my way back to the reservation. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what God wants because oftentimes, if we're doubting what God's gonna do in the future, it's because we've forgotten how God has been faithful in the past. Our remembrance that God has been faithful to us encourages us to be able to trust him on the things we don't understand going forward. And so we need to be reminded over and over and over again of the story. That's why I always encourage people to keep a journal, a praise journal, a book of remembrance, or whatever you like to call it, but some way to remember all the things that God has done. Because after a while, if you're not careful, you could forget how amazing he is how amazingly faithful he's been. So in Deuteronomy chapter 2, we're going to be looking back once again at the desert years. So let's just jump right on in. Deuteronomy chapter 2, picking up in verse 1, it says this, then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, and the Lord spoke to me And we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep. Because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession, you shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness these 40 years, and the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. And so notice we begin again that Moses is recounting that, they, hey, we turned and we journeyed into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Remember where they were? Where God had parted that sea and they walked through. And then he says, look, we went around Mount Seir and God said to me, you skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. And remember, we saw this last time as well when they were at Mount Sinai. It's like you've dwelt at this mountain for too long. And so was just real briefly, I talked about this when we looked at Deuteronomy chapter one, but for some of you You're in a holding pattern. You've been there for too long. You've been skirting, going around the same mountain. And at some point, you got to get bored being stuck in neutral. And I think maybe this verse is for some... If you're there and you've sensed the Lord being like, yeah, I'm stuck in neutral in this one spot. I'm going in circles. Maybe it's time to turn northward. Maybe it's time to leave the mountain that you're stuck on and say, Lord, I'm kind of tired of just dwelling here. And... I really want to encourage those of you who find yourself stuck, that you're only going to be as stuck as you want to be. Because the only reason you're stuck is because you're choosing to be. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize, and I say that not trying to minimize hurts and struggles, but to also say that you choose how you deal with those hurts and struggles. God has actually entrusted that to you as his child. And so I found in my life at times where you get stuck somewhere. You get stuck in some situation. Some of you in your marriages, you have been having the same fight for 25 years. It's like every time you have a disagreement, the same thing comes up. 25 years ago, back at Woodstock or whatever, you you forgot to get me water or so. Who knows? I know Woodstock was a lot longer than 25 years ago. But you know what I mean? Those of you like, amen, Fusco, you don't even know. You know? It's like, I don't even remember Woodstock. I mean, what was that? But you know what I mean? It's like, but sometimes we get that place. We hit that place where it's like, there's like a glitch and you get stuck there. And when I read that, where he says, you've skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. He's like, you've been here long enough. You've been, you know, working the tread off your tires in this one spot. Mate, it's time to move. Just turn northward. And so in verse four here, It says, and command the people saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So what we find is that from there, they go to Mount Seir, and he's like, listen, you're going to go into the land of the descendants of Esau. So in your Bible, Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. They're also called the Edomites later in your Bible. The book of Obadiah is about it. The book of, there's a number of books that are about it, about the relationship between the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, and descendants of Esau, who we know as the Edomites. There's a number of books about it. Now, but what's interesting here is he says, listen, You're going to pass through the land of your brethren And they're going to be afraid of you See the testimony of what God has done In the children of Israel Is provoking fear in the people And he says because they're afraid of you Watch carefully And what he's saying is Because I have placed my fear upon them I don't want you to I want you to be a good steward of that I want you to Tend to that carefully. I I want you to watch yourselves. I want you to make sure that you do the right things and in the right way. And I love what he says, don't meddle with them. I'm not going to give you even one foot. He's like, don't mess with them at all. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, God says, I don't want you to meddle with certain things. He says, I don't want you to mess with that. I have something else. And you got to ask yourself, are you meddling with something that God has said, don't meddle with? I mean, there's things like in the Bible where it talks about things like astrology and all this stuff. And it says, don't even mess with that stuff. But some of us mess with that stuff. It's like, it's kind of like the old thing. It's like, whatever you do, don't do that. So that's the first thing that you do, right? But when when God says don't meddle with something, guess what? Don't meddle with it. The reason why God says don't mess with something is because God loves us too much to want us to hurt ourselves. That's why, see, as a parent, I love my kids. And there's all sorts of times that I say no to them, not because I'm like a lame dad. I mean, far from it. I think I'm a pretty awesome dad. And if Obadiah was here, he'd be like, yeah, dad. But I say you can't do certain things because I really love my kids. And I don't, like, it was funny. I was playing with chainsaws a couple weeks ago. And you don't give a kid from Jersey a chainsaw, you know what I mean? Like, and so nobody I was like, can I help? And I'm like, nobody. He's like, it looks so fun. <laughs> and, and guess what? For any little boy, a chainsaw is fun. Right? But it's like, I love my guy, and I'm not gonna let him play with a chainsaw, not yet. You know what I mean? And then he's like, Can I mow the lawn? And I'm like, soon. I'm priming, like, he's going to mow the lawn, you know what I mean? But he's not there yet. He's in fourth grade, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a little bit, it's a little early for him. I'm like, you you, we'll teach you about the lawnmower, buddy. But I don't do that because I'm like a bad, I do that because I love him. And when God says don't meddle with something, he's saying, look, this could hurt you, so I don't want you to mess around with it. And I think oftentimes Satan works this way. Satan tells you the reason God says no is because he's mean. Isn't that what he told Adam and Eve in the garden He said oh yeah God doesn't want you to eat that tree of the knowledge of good and evil Because God knows That you're going to become like him And God doesn't want any competition And he's leaving you out of the fun stuff And all these things in the Bible It says don't mess with it Don't do it Don't go there And we perpetually Even as his kids go there But what we're missing is the fact that God says don't because he loves us that's why and a good parent will say no sometimes not because they don't love you but because they do now if you're here right now and you're a younger person and you're struggling with your parents you need to give them the benefit of the doubt that they actually have your best interest at heart oftentimes i think what happens is and again back in jesus's day people were getting married in their teenage years and every parent right now has got a teenager's like hey, amen can we bring that thing back I'm going to give them to somebody else right now, you know? But as culture has changed, kids are getting married later. And so you're like, well, yeah, my parents. And But listen, if they're your parents and they care about you. And listen, I'm not speaking down to anyone. When I was a teenager, I definitely thought my parents were lame. I definitely didn't like, but I realize now as I've gotten older, I'm like, wow, my parents were just trying to help me. They were trying to keep me out of trouble, out of jail. They were trying to keep me. Alive You know But they put boundaries in place And that's what God does He puts And he says to them listen Don't mess with them I'm not giving you any of this land I don't want you to go to war with them And he even says in verse 6 I want you to buy food from them with money that you may eat I want you to buy water from them with money that you may drink For the Lord God has blessed you with the work And really what he's saying in effect Is he's saying listen I don't want you to take anything from them I want you to buy it Because I've blessed you And because I've blessed you, I'm actually going to bless the descendants of Esau through you because they're going to be able to sell what they have to you. And you're not going to mess with them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not trying to take their land, anything like that. But I want you to pass along the blessing through something as simple as commerce. And I love that. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. And I believe that's a promise for the people of God. That God's saying, look, I want to bless you in all the work of your hands. I want you to be involved in the things that I care about. And when you do that, I can bless the work that you do. And we should live our lives that way, that no matter what we're doing, we could say, Lord, this is the work that you have called us to. Can you bless that work? I like to do this when I go out to eat food that is not all that healthy. And then you pray, you bless the Lord. And you're like, Lord, if there's any way possible to bless this triple bacon <laughs> barbecue burger with extra You're like if there's a way to bless this to my body, Lord. And every time I pray that, I feel convicted because I'm like, if I don't believe God can bless this to my body, I probably shouldn't be eating it. You know what I mean? But I'm like, Lord, but I'll I'll work out tomorrow, Lord. You know. So I'm trying to get saved by works, but that's a whole other discussion. But we want to live our lives in such a way that God can bless the work of our hands because we're doing His work. And I've always heard it said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's a good word, isn't it? That when you do God's work in the ways that God prescribes, you'll never lack God's supply to get that work accomplished, whether it's God's presence or the resources needed. So we have to do God's work in God's way. Now look at what it says in verse 8. It says, "'And when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, "'who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, "'away from Elath and ezion Gibor, "'we turned and passed by the wilderness of Moab. "'Then the Lord said to me, "'Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, "'for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, "'because I have given our to the descendants of Lot as a possession.'" the Emim, who dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous as tall as the Anakim. They are also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Emim, the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir. The descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did. To the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. And so, what we find is that not only did the Lord forbid them to attack the Edomites or the descendants of Esau, but they're also not to harass the Moabites, who are the descendants of Lot, if you remember that story from the book of Genesis, a kind of assorted tale. And let the hearer understand or go back and read your Bible, the book of Genesis. And he says, listen, I don't want you to mess with them either. I've given them that land as a possession. And then in verse 10, you get this really strange parenthesis. The Emim dwell there, and they're great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. And so now we have this brought out into the open, this Emim, who are the Anakim, who were in that day, they were considered to be giants. They were very, very large. And as you read through your Bible, you'll keep seeing things about the Anakim, and you're going to get other different groups that come up, where there were some people who were really, really large, really tall. You think of Goliath was one of those people who was just abnormally tall. Now, I know sometimes you read about there were giants in that day, and you think to yourself, man, well, who can believe that? I'm saying, say, just look at the NBA. You know what I mean? Like there's some really. T- I remember. How many of you remember Minute Bowl? Right? He was like seven seven. Like that dude could touch the rim. Like just standing there. Like I can't touch the rim standing on some of you guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like, and this guy's just like, you know. And I saw this picture because you know, being from the East Coast, I'm a New York Knicks fan. Don't hate. You can pray for me. It's been a long road. But Christoph's Porter Zingus, who's like seven, four, and there's this picture in the New York Post, who literally he stands next to a reporter, and like the reporter goes up to his like stomach. And there's this great pal. I'm like, dude, that dude is huge. You know, and so sometimes God makes people big, you know, in height. Sometimes he makes us big in width. Some of us are big on the inside, however it goes. But God makes some big people. And so we find out here that there are these people who are called the Emim or the Anakim. And we find out that the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir. And so we get this parenthesis giving some details about the land and who dwells there. We're going to see more about this. But it's an interesting parenthesis that pops on up in there. And so for those of you who like searching the Bible down and trying to understand I would encourage you to do a search on giants in the Bible because it pops up in a number of places. Now, I do encourage you to do that, but I also don't want to encourage you to be conspiracy theorists. There's enough of those in the world. And the beauty of a conspiracy theory is that you can take a few pieces of information, you can make up anything you want because it's a conspiracy. But some in the Bible, there's discussions of people who are uniquely large, and there's all sorts of things in there. And so, as for those of you who like to nerd out on the Bible, which I am definitely with you, like, when you find these kind of strange things, go and do some research on it. Now, I could do a whole sermon series on some of the weird stuff in the Bible, and maybe I should you know, just do like a series. And I can explore all this stuff and I'll probably confuse more of you than I will bless. But there's a lot of stuff in there that people have very unique theories about. And, and I think the Emim and the Anakim, these are those type of groups where there's all sorts of theories about it and things that were going on and things that people believe about what was going on. And if you read the writings of the rabbis, I mean, there are volumes of some very, very weird ideas about what goes on. And so, but that's what the Bible just tells us, that there were these people who were very, very large. Now, in verse 13, it tells us, now rise and cross over to the Valley of Zared. So we crossed over the Valley of Zared. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the Valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them, from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. And now, you know, we see this again. They keep moving, and it takes them 38 years to do something that should have taken them just a few weeks. And we talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter one, that this generation who should have went into the promised land because they didn't trust God, they interpreted the information not by faith, but by sight, and they rebelled against God. And so God said, because you're not gonna trust me, then you don't have to go into the promised land. And unfortunately, sometimes God answers our faithless prayers by giving us exactly what we want. And my encouragement to you is to walk by faith and not by sight. Because the last thing you want is to get what you want, only to realize that God had something way better. And I think that's a challenge for us as Christians. Because I think the church today has really decided that it really likes common sense more than the Bible. It really likes logic more than the Bible. Now, I'm not saying don't use common sense. I'm saying God has given us a brain and we should use it, but we should always place our ideas under the authority and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is real.
1: That's a hard word from Pastor Daniel just then. Sometimes we ask God for what we want, what we can see and touch, sometimes he gives it to us. Most of the time it's not what was best. Pastor Daniel reminded you today of the results of not walking by faith. When we forget who God is and stop trusting him, it's easy to lose and fall away. If you're teetering on the edge of that today, take a moment to pray and ask God to give you the faith you need to keep following him. Hey everybody, this is
0: Pastor Daniel and I wanna be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy. And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find
1: out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. At some point in your life, you probably thought your parents weren't cool. (laughs) You may have decided they didn't know anything, so why listen? That opinion may have passed, but think for a moment... Is that your attitude toward God? Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will ask you what you think about God and how that might be affecting your level of trust in Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Refresh. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.